This is The Guardian. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's a Europod. We've got a lot to catch up on. Is it Nicky Bandini's dream top two in Serie A? Napoli lead the way after a 2-1 win over Champions Milan, while Atalanta are level on points, beating Roma, for whom there's a red card for Jose Mourinho. Don't say you didn't want to hear that. Are Juve the most in-crisis team in Europe? Or is that Bayern Munich only won three of their seven? And they couldn't not win the title, could they? Depressing racist abuse from Atleti fans against Vinicius Jr. overshadows the Madrid derby, but he dances his way to Real's sixth straight win. Why there's so many red cards in France. Is Messi better than ever? Brackets no, but he's still really good. Will players start owning their own stats? And a big apology to Carlos Puyol. All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nicky Bandini mentioned in the intro it would be it would be impolite not to have you on the pod after that. Yeah, it's 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 um it's it's been a weekend all around, hasn't it? I mean, I think it was one of the most crazy weekends in in Serie A for, for ages, and then on top of that, an Italian got appointed by a Premier League club just in the last uh, um, very small amount of time, and uh, I can't, don't even know when that happened, Max. I've lost sense of time completely, but I know everyone wants to hear about Deserbi as well. <laughs> Um, Philippe Auclair, bonjour, ça va? Ça va bien, et toi? Ça va bien. Mark Langdon, hello. Hello, Max. Uh, from the Racing Post, of course. Let's start with Serie A then. Uh, as I said in the intro, Nick, is this your dream? Napoli 1, Atalanta 2? Or do you want it the other way around? Or am I just <laughs> making up who I think you like the most in, in that league? I, I think you might be making that up in a, in a greater sense. I don't, um, you know, I, I get asked often who my Italian team is. This, this happens a lot. And as everyone who listens to Football Weekly knows, or at least has been listening for a while, I'm an Arsenal fan. I, I did grow up in London, so Arsenal's my team. Um, my Italian family are, are mostly for Inter, but yeah, one team's enough for me. So I, I just like stories that are interesting and different. And Atlanta have been a great story the last few seasons. And Napoli this season are also a, a brilliant story. And, and above anything else, they play really... Uh, fun, entertaining football, but I think um, sort of because I like the stories. What's interesting to me is is how they got there, Max and and Napoli, of course, got there. I suppose in the more high profile way because they beat Milan on Sunday night. Yeah, um, uh, the the hero, son of Diego Giovanni Simeone, actually does really well for that goal, doesn't he? Because he's patient, he holds it up, and then he gets into the box to score a brilliant header. Yeah, I think Giovanni Simeone is like such a a fascinating sort of case study within this team and that actually sort of speaks a lot to why this Napoli team are so good, why they are sort of um, uh, surprising people a bit this season. Because actually this was kind of a a top of the table clash, two teams that are absolutely, I would say ahead of Atalanta, it's still Milan and Napoli are my two favourites at this point for the Scudetto. 
and both of them are missing one of their most important players because Milan are missing Rafael Leal and Napoli are missing Victor Osman. So they're both missing a forward who is really integral to how they play. And Simeone doesn't even start for Napoli. He comes off the bench and ends up scoring the winning goal with his lovely header. And I think it's interesting just in and of himself that he's he's not um, he's not short. I think he's about 5'10", but he's certainly not the tallest guy, Simeone. And he's he, he scores these headers. He's good at getting into those areas in the box. As you say, it's, it's a real sort of tribute to his movement and how he, he, he used himself in the box. But, but there's a bigger picture here for me, which is that Milan, despite probably still getting the better of the play in this game, they did hit the woodwork twice. So it's a game that could easily have gone a different way. Um, I, I still came away from this thinking, okay, so Leao's out. And that attack looks more reliant than ever on Olivier Giroud, who's been brilliant, right? Who scored in this game, who is continuing to to be a really uh, essential player. But Napoli, who not so long ago would have been thought of as as not able to compete with teams like Milan financially, I mean, they still aren't in terms of their overall budget, look like the team with the deeper squad. Because Napoli can turn to the bench and say, well, not only did is Ossiman missing? But we started Aspadori at centre forward. Then we took off Aspadori and sent on Simeone, and Simeone got the winning goal. And that depth about this Napoli team is is something that's really different and and I think surprising to a lot of us, myself included, who thought they were going to have a difficult season after saying goodbye to Insigne and Mertens and Koulibaly. And I, I'd wonder, Mark, do you think because we saw them hammer Liverpool, and I suppose that would have really piqued the uh, the. Uh... What, what what gets peaked? Your interest. Your eyes don't get peaked, <laughs> yeah. do they? Well, that's, that's usually like, your interest. That's, yeah. Really sounds so quite painful to have your eyes peaked. <laughs> but a lot of things got peaked when they did that. I mean, I don't know if they have the depth to to go far in that competition as well. Well, I mean, it's a really tight group. Um, you know, they've made a great start, Napoli, but there are you know tougher games I think for them to come. They'll they have to go to Anfield. They've got this double header coming up against Ajax who, you know, showed up pretty well um, at Liverpool, albeit that I think that the right team won in in the end. I think they probably have got um, sort of more, probably fewer bigger names, but maybe more depth to the squad um, this time around. They obviously shared, you know, as, as Nicky was saying, you know, some real um, talented players in the summer. I suppose my doubt about them is that Last season, they were the best team in the early part of, of the campaign and, and were unable to hold on. And so I suppose you just wonder whether um, the same will happen again. But as Nicky was saying, I think to be able to have Simeone as potentially third choice striker, I mean, I, you know, some Raspadori can play out there as well, I think does give them more depth. I'd still like to see it. I, 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 one of them sort of um, non-believers, I suppose, and until they actually get over the line, even when they had that great forward line, Lovetsy and um, Cavani, they, they they got so close and were unable to get over the line. The Sarri team, um, when Koulibaly scored really late on at Juventus, it looked like that was going to be the time for Napoli. And then the next week, um, it all went wrong for them. So um, I'm one of those, yeah, that I, I want to see them do it before I actually believe it. But I, I think it is a great story. I love watching them play. And, um, you know, I, I haven't got a, a favourite team in Italy either, but I would like to see them win the league, I think. Uh, what about Atalanta? They, they beat Roma in a game that, a bit like the, the Milan game, could have gone either way. In fact, Roma had buckets of really good chances today, including Tammy Abraham just sort of shunting one wide very slowly for no apparent reason. Um, but look, they still got the win and they're still, you know, they are in a great position at the moment. Yeah, Atalanta um, joint top with, with Napoli, as you say. It, it was strange because, as you've sort of just alluded to, I, I thought this was 
weirdly, I think this might have been Roma's best performance the whole season. I thought Roma were really good in, in a way that they haven't always been in some of their wins this season. Um, but they just couldn't get the goal. And, and of course, they had Paolo Dybala leave the game um, injured in, in the warm-ups as well. And you think, well, if you can't score a goal and, and you're missing that one guy, um, then, uh, of course, that's um, that's going to be an inference as well. Um, but I, I think it was interesting because we're almost seeing a different wave of Atalanta. We associate Atalanta as being the attacking team, the one that will sort of get up on you, that will that will be in your face and that will play man-to-man across the pitch. And they are still playing man-to-man across the pitch. But actually this Atalanta team this season so far, it's still only seven games, conceded only three goals. They've got the joint best defence of all in all of Serie A. I think it's interesting that the, the teenager who came on to score their, their winning goal in this game, Giorgio Scalvini, who is... Very interesting prospect. Certainly looks the part, sort of tall, lean, but still quite agile despite being quite muscular. Um, well, I've seen him as a midfielder because that's where he's playing. He's been a defender through most of his youth career. And Gasparini said at the end of the game, like, I don't know so what this guy's final position is, but it almost sort of felt like a, a physical representation of this slight emphasis shift at Atlanta that they're no longer going to be a gung-ho team, maybe they're going to be a more defensive team that brings a defender up from the youth team and puts them into midfield. But regardless, it was defender, midfielder, whatever you want to call them. I thought it was a really lovely finish from Scalvini yeah. and another Beautiful. yeah, teenager to be excited about. Um, uh, Jose got sent off. That sounds great to me. Is this <laughs> is this the moment when the wheels fall off? I mean, actually, Roma looked like they played quite well in this game. Yeah, like I said, Max, I don't know what to say about Roma because I think they've played some games much worse than this this season. I thought this was one of their better games. There've been sometimes when they've been winning, and I've been going, eh, they didn't really do a lot. But this one was was the opposite. I think they they do have. Strangely, that despite having quite an abundance of attacking options, because you've got Dybala, you've got Zaniola, you've got Pellegrini, and you've got Tammy Abraham, they do have this slightly odd sense of a lack of ruthlessness about them. They've got a lot of players there who you think are, are pretty sort of good at creating opportunity, but aren't necessarily the most punishing. And that's where Tammy Abraham's supposed to be the guy. Tammy Abraham's got to be the one who is punishing, who does always take those chances for them. And he's had a... I mean, it's not a terrible start. He scored twice in seven games, but I think compared to last season when he was really sort of hitting that goal best in every other game mark, he's had a slightly indifferent start. And I think they're waiting for him to to wake up a bit. And if he does, then I think they'll be just fine. I don't think the wheel's coming off or anything. What was the, what was the Jose red card? Oh, this was ridiculous. Nicolas Agnola was um, trying to win a penalty and he literally grabs the shirt of the defender and pulls him down his way into the area. And then minutes later as well, because that wasn't enough sort of being an idiot, does an even more blatant dive and then gets very, very put out that the referee isn't isn't uh, giving in to his dives. And of course, Jose being Jose takes the side of his players, gets involved in it, protests too much and gets gets sent off. I mean, it's it's not a new story. And <laughs> um um, but yeah, that Zaniola was being ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Just one one thing, going back to, to Gasparini, uh, Nicky, mm-hmm. he's been in place for six years now. Mm-hmm. He has a contract which leads him to, I think, 2024 with an extra year option. Um, is that something completely unusual? <laughs> I mean, this is like <laughs> an awful long time. Usually Serie A were used at seeing, you know, managers going pop, 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 pop from one club to the next. That's completely, is it? Is it unique actually in today's landscape? I mean, there's a few long contracts kicking about. I don't know if we're going to talk about Juventus and the fact they can't really sack Max Allegri because he's under contract <laughs> till 2025. Um, but um, Gasparini and, and Atalanta have got a very unique relationship. Um, I think both 
parties sort of appreciate quite strongly what the other represents for the for each other. You know, um, Gasparini has taken Atalanta to heights they never would have imagined. They finished third in three consecutive seasons. Uh, they they made it to the Champions League knockout rounds, and I think to a certain degree, when you've done that, you earn yourself um, a certain. Um, untouchable status and and the fact as well that he's done that while there's been quite a heavy rotation of players again look at this this group this season and you think it's not just that we've said goodbye to Ilicic and Papu Gomez sort of the, the big beasts of the last couple of seasons but even players like Pessina who's wound up at Monza of all places and you think well they've, they've given up a lot of players you would have thought a year ago or in their starting eleven, Robin Gussens, who's off at Inter, and they keep reinventing themselves. So I think from the club's point of view, sure, he's more expensive than he used to be, but he's not an expensive option to be someone who can allow them to run this business model of constant turnover effectively. And from Gasparini's point of view, he's done the big club. He went to Inter. He got fired after about five minutes because he had a horrible start. And I think he's very happy to be somewhere that he just feels very supported. I wonder if this season has started differently, if the story might have gone differently, because of course they did slip last year. They were down to, I think it was eighth in the end last season. But it seems like, no, they've just come together and, and reinvented again. And, and so I think it's just one of those very nice symbiotic relationships, really. You mentioned Monza, first ever win for the Formula One circuit against Juventus. <laughs> Autumn, Autumn says, how bad are things at Juve? Is there an Italian phrase that translates to crisis club? Andy, on the off chance that the hierarchy at Juve were checking in on people on Sunday night, who do they phone first, Zidane, Pochettino or Tuchel? But as you're saying, right, they, they, can't, so they can't sack Allegri. Is that the problem? They, they, are, they are stuck. Yeah, I, I want to emphasise just quickly what this Monza result was because Monza, promoted to Serie A for the first time in their history this season, had played six games in total in Serie A in which they'd conceded 14 goals, had a minus 11 goal difference. They'd got one draw from those six games. They'd lost all the rest of them. And their manager, Raffaele Palladino, who they hired for this game, or they promoted rather because he was in charge of their youth team, had never taken charge of a senior football game before. He'd been their under-15 coach for a year and then their under-19 coach for a year. That's it. Amazing. And this team then beats Juventus. So like their first win ever in Serie A, that's the context of it. Astonishing, astonishing result. And yes, certainly felt like a new low for Juve. You think they've just got beaten in, in the Champions League by Benfica. They've they've actually were unbeaten in Serie A before this, but four of their six games before this were draws. Remember that Max Allegri, the manager, was saying in, in pre-season, we have a duty to win the league. Like, not we sort of, oh, we're going to try and do better than last season. Like, we have a duty to be the number one team in Italy. And, yeah, they, they were awful. They were really, really awful. They didn't deserve any more than they got. They were on 10 men from the 40th minute because Di Maria got sent off. But even before that, they weren't good. And it's... There's sort of two competing voices in my head, right? One of which is you can go back to 2015-16 and Juventus actually started even worse than this. They had fewer points. They went on to win the league um, convincingly as well with 91 points. And then you have the evidence of what your eyes are telling you, which is this team has been dreadful and lifeless and can't even come up with a response against Monza, who've been really bad. I mean, Roma thumped Monza 4-0. I don't think Allegri's getting sacked now. I, I think I feel confident he's not getting sacked now. Um, since Agnelli took over as, as president, uh, they, they've never changed a manager mid-season. Now, admittedly, that's like a 12-year stretch in which they won the league nine times. So perhaps <laughs> that's a slightly sort of misleading <laughs> thing to focus on. But they didn't get rid of Pirlo when things were going very, very badly. They saw it through to the end. And I think there was a sense of, well, as long as we still make the top four, as long as we still get that Champions League money, it's better to not do this. 
And I think that you had this sort of really joking exchange from the CEO, Arifa Bene, with a fan in midweek that was very revealing, even though it was a joke, which was, he'd come out of a meeting with some Benfica executives. He was taking some photos and signing autographs with fans. And one of them sort of said to him, basically, Allegri out. And he said, oh, and you're going to pay for the next one, are you? As a joke. But also, he's getting paid you know, the, I, I can't remember if it's 7 million or 9 million euros a year. Either way, he's the, because in Italy they always mix it up with talking about pre-tax and post-tax, but he's the joint pest play manager in Serie A along with Mourinho. And he's under contract till 2025. And you signed him specifically because you thought this is the guy who understands the event ethos, who understands that we don't need to be pretty always as long as we just win. And now you've gone out and you've got him, Di Maria. You've got him, Paul Pogba, who admittedly isn't there. You've got him, Vlahovic last January. And yes, if you want to qualify it, Pogba isn't there. Di Maria is getting himself sent off and Chiesa isn't there either, who's a big player for them. But still, you provided all these pieces and you're not getting results. It it feels really, really ugly, but it also does feel like a situation from which Juventus can't easily extricate themselves. I'm sorry, that's a really long answer. I haven't said the bit which you, you did ask about, which if there's another manager. Tuchel is the name that's been mentioned the most in Turin. Tuchel is the name they seem to be talking about. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think Juventus won't. I think at the soonest, if Juventus think it's really bad, they might do something at the time when the World Cup happens. I think nothing will happen before that. But even then, I think recent history tells us it would have to be very bad recent history and costs before Juventus actually decided to make a change. Yeah, I, I think with um, Max Allegra, I remember reading an article um, interview, I think it was probably Rory Smith, it was in the New York Times, and um, this was during his sabbatical, um, Allegri, and honestly, it really alarmed me, the, the interview, um, and it wasn't a hard-hitting piece, it just allowed Allegri to talk about his philosophy, or rather lack of um, philosophy, mm. because um, he said he doesn't believe in philosophies and, you know, it's only about winning. And he was kind of um, dismissive of, I suppose, modern approaches in terms of data and analytics and that philosophy and, and a way of playing. He admitted to not even owning a computer and said, apart from his fi- family iPad, um, you know, that's about it. Um, he spoke about a horse racing trainer, a legend in Italy called Federico Tessio, who basically did everything. He was a breeder, he was a trainer, but, you know, he died in 1954 and was successful in the 1930s. And it was all about, for him, it was about the eye and sort of, you know, you, you could get a sense of, of you know, wh- whether a horse was, was going to be good by looking at them. And he said it was the same with footballers. And, he, you know, he spent so much time with, with the racetrack with his granddad and, you know, that, that was the way to be. And I just think, like, there's nobody really in modern football that, that thinks and believes like that. And, of course, he did well in his um, first spell. I just feel like if you're looking to, you know, modernise the club and maybe sort of, you know, there would be some hard times, I think, for Juventus because of the players that they lost and the way that they're trying to m- maybe reinvent themselves with some of the, the players that Nicky was talking about there, particularly Vlahovic and Chiesa. It just feels like maybe a more forward-thinking coach would be better suited to trying to sort of take them on this different path. Matt says, please can Nikki give a summary of Roberto Di Zerbi uh, and her opinion on his move to Brighton. We can all Google him, but would appreciate her thoughts as someone who has watched his time at Sassuolo, etc. Thanks. We did mainly focus on his goatee beard yesterday, so some actual football <laughs> might be quite useful. Yeah, Di Zerbi, I, I think he'll be a lot of fun. He 
had a, a pretty successful stint at Sassuolo. He was there for three seasons, um, finished, I think, 11th, 8th, 8th. And um, you know, they're a team who only got into Serie A for the first time beginning of last decade. Eighth isn't quite the highest position. They have been sick, but it's a solid position for them. Being in the upper half of the table is, is a good result for Sassuolo. Um, and he got it by doing very sort of, well, I, I would go sort of right on the borderline of, of expansive and just outright reckless football because they all one touch passing out from the back, moved them to this 4-2-3-1 with a double pivot in midfield where it was just like, literally, we're not going to hump the ball long ever. We're going to always play out from the back. We're always going to do these one touch passes. And quite often it's going to turn out we're not as good as we think we are and we're going to get ourselves in trouble. But also we're going to be more overall more successful than not. I mean, they, again, were finishing in the top half of the table. He did bring through um, some sort of players like Berardi and really elevate their talents and, and develop them into to even more sort of effective uh, forwards and attackers in particular. He has this great knack with even sort of Chicho Caputo, who wasn't a young player he brought through, he was someone at the, the latter end of his career, but he turned him into this absolutely prolific number nine. Even sort of Pep Guardiola gave him some sort of positive words about how they played football. But look, really, really fun, really fast, really zippy, passing out from the back again. I think that, again, that double pivot midfield is a real hallmark of Deserbi football. Um, and to give you some context, the sort of team that I think Sassuolo finished a couple of seasons in a row scoring more than 60 goals, but also conceding more than 60 goals. So oh, it's that sort of football. He's Aussie Ardiles. This is marvellous. <laughs> All right, look, that'll do for uh, Italy. We'll do Germany and Spain next. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It starts the same way. Can I tell you a secret? It would start off with a random girl and just say, hey, hun, I'm going to tell you some secret now. Please don't mention it to anybody. But it quickly escalates. It just spread like a wildfire. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. I didn't know how far this was going to go. People seldom show their true selves online, but one man... He's taken it much further. I was terrified. Who is the cyberstalker behind these messages? 
he actually said to me, good luck proving it's me. And why is he sending them? Because he became more and more isolated, he just went within himself even further. Do you punish someone for acting out whatever is going on in their mind that we don't understand? And if I could just turn back the clock... From The Guardian, I'm Shirin Kaler, and this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Search for Can I Tell You a Secret? wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. All episodes will be available on Friday, the 23rd of September. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, uh, to the Bundesliga then. James says, our Bayern finished. Is Nagelsmann's job at risk? It'd be good for the Bundesliga to have a new winner for the first time in, what, a decade? Sean says, is Mane making Liverpool and Bayern terrible at the same time? Mark, dare we dream that Bayern Munich won the league this season? <laughs> well, we may as well dream, um, because it's more likely than it has been um, in, in, in recent years. I mean, look, this was not a good performance from them. They created enough chances at Augsburg... Uh, lost 1-0. I think it says much for Mane's performance that the closest Bayern came to scoring was through Manuel Neuer when he went up for a, a corner in, yeah, in the good head. It was a good header, wasn't it? It was, uh, yeah. And um, I mean, Neuer is, I mean, he's fantastic with his feet and obviously with his head um, as well. That 77% possession, 19 shots. Whenever Bayern are going to sort of lose, not win, um, there will be question marks as to whether Lewandowski would have changed the result. I mean, that's just um, natural. You know, you, I don't think they had that much choice with Lewandowski. He made it pretty clear that he wanted to leave um, for Barcelona and he was going. And I think financially it made sense, you know, his age to to sell. And Julian Nagelsmann wanted a more fluid front line and that he felt that Mane was much more the type of forward that, that could sort of help bring his football um, you know, onto the pitch and that he didn't want somebody to be in the box all the time. And so I think that's fine as long as Mane scores. And he did it at the start and it was it was working well. But um, this was the first time now in 87 matches that Bayern had failed to score in the Bundesliga. What? Mane is five without That goal. is mad. <laughs> that's, that's 87 games. Exactly. I mean, that's well, they, ridiculous. You know, they, they usually win. Um, so, I mean, that is true. Um, and it's their worst start in 20 years. Uh, so it, it, there, there are, I suppose, I think outside pressure, probably more than um, internal pressure on Julian Nagelsmann. I think there are question marks from some supporters as to whether he's the right person inside the club. Bayern have, have been very clear that um, there's no panic. Uh, there's a lot of time to to sort out this situation. But last season wasn't a great one uh, for, for Bayern. They won the league, um, but in terms of the Champions League, they went out to Villarreal, um, which is... Oh, it's unacceptable is maybe a bit strong because you can lose knockout matches, but it's not what Bayern expects. And even this season against Barcelona um, last week, I mean, if Lewandowski um, takes his chances like he normally does, I think that you get a completely different result from from, from that match as well. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, who Nicky said has been linked with Juventus, has also been linked with the Bayern job. There were definitely people that wanted um, Tuchel before he went to Paris 2018, uh, maybe 2018, 2019 uh, time. So I think that when you've got a manager like Tuchel on the sidelines, just waiting to be brought back in, um, that will increase the pressure on a lot of managers um, in Europe's top leagues where maybe the big clubs are failing. But 
the, the the message from inside Bayern is that they're not panicking just yet and they expect to get better um, and that this is just a minor blip um, en route to, to winning uh, the Bundesliga and the, you know they're saying we'll just be better after the international break. But they, they, they need to get better. Good idea. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they do. do. <laughs> um, at Union Berlin are top. I mean, obviously I know everything about them, but for listeners who perhaps only know that they're in Berlin, uh, what can you tell us about them? Well, I mean, this is um, a, a remarkable story. This is a, There aren't many feel-good factor sort of stories in football anymore. You know, they, they just get a bit depressed with kind of, and we'll probably get on to, to some of the more depressing ones uh, in a while. But, but Union... Well, Philippe is here. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> Thank you. Bring Thank us you, the Max. hard truth. Um, but but you know, Union Berlin are very much um, a club that sort of bases itself around their supporters. When they came up to the Bundesliga, um, they were seen as th- this team that were were not going to kind of, not really about modern football. It's about the supporters. It's about the, the kind of hard work from the community and those that kind of got them up um, into the Bundesliga. And they've stayed sort of as true as they can, I think, to that sort of ethos, really, and of them all together. And they, they've managed to get themselves into um, in, into Europe, which I think maybe um, could be a stretch for them. But um, you know, the, the way that it's going at the moment, a 2-0 win against Wolfsburg at the weekend, the front two um, have been scoring a lot of goals. So uh, Peafock, Jordan Peafock, is somebody that, that part of that goal scoring, but also a guy that I didn't really know that much about, um, Becker, not Boris Becker, but uh, the, the Becker up front, uh, top scorer in the Bundesliga. They, they just find, you know, I suppose unheralded players, not much really of, of a backstory to them. Um, and that they're just a, a really sort of heartwarming story. You look around at sort of some of the more fashionable teams, I suppose, um, in, in terms of the Bundesliga. Leipzig are not doing great at the moment. Wolfsburg themselves, um, you know, are, are not really struggling. Bayer Leverkusen haven't started the season well. So maybe there is an opportunity there. And this also comes back to the, you know, Archie speaks about all the time when he's on the 50 plus one. And I think that the ownership rules, and I think there is um, a lot of goodwill from sort of just neutral um, sort of Bundesliga fans, I suppose. Just you, you'd rather somebody like Union Berlin were sort of up there rather than um, Wolfsburg, rather than Bayer Leverkusen, rather than Leipzig. So um, let's just see if it can carry on. I hope so. Philippe just put his hand up, which I presume he's just about to say they're owned by an arms dealer or something. 51% <laughs> arms dealer. No, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Uh, I, I, I think I'm right, but they still have the old scoreboard as well, Mark. Oh, I I haven't been I've, I've never been to the ground, um, Philippe. So I don't know. Okay, the old scoreboard. If I if I'm correct, it's a, it's quite extraordinary. It's like imagine you're at, at a, like a fifth or sixth division uh, uh, ground, and it's not oh, LED. Yes, it's like a, it's an old it's an old cricket scoreboard. Yes, thing, absolutely. It? And they don't have the name of the club which is visiting them. They have FC Union, and then they've got yeah. Gast, the guest. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. There's nothing else. And they're sponsored by a brand of sausages. I mean, the scoreboard is a brand of sausages. It's magnificent. <laughs> yes. It's magnificent. Richtig, richtig good diverse. Right yes. good the sausage. And, <laughs> and, and, they have, um, and they have, basically, there's two big windows. And if either team scores, someone just sticks, sticks their head out the window and just puts a big three or a big two or whatever. That's oh, the that's way it should tremendous. be done. That's the way it should oh, be done. That is really good. Um, and let's go to oh. La Liga. Biggest story in Spain was Atletico Madrid monkey chance aimed at Vinicius 
junior, incredibly depressing. A La Liga spokesperson said, we denounce all incidents inside and outside stadiums. Hate speech has no place in La Liga. Um, his celebration after scoring, he does this dance, has drawn comments from pundits. An agent called Pedro Bravo was on El Chiringuito the other day saying, in Spain, you have to respect rivals and, quote, stop playing the monkey. Uh, he has since apologised. Vinicius Jr. came out with a statement saying, look, weeks ago, some people started to criticise my dancing, but the dancing is not mine alone. It belongs to Ronaldinho, Neymar, Lucas Paqueta, Antoine Griezmann, Jao Felix, uh, black funk singers, samba dancers, Latin reggaeton singers, black Americans. Uh, they're dancing to celebrate the cultural diversity of the world. Um, they say that happiness bothers the happiness of a black Brazilian being successful in Europe bothers much more, but my will to win, my smile and the spark in my eyes are much bigger than that. He's actually a really interesting guy, Philippe, isn't he? I mean, the, the story is really depressing, but he has been incredibly mature, so he's suffering something he, he should never have to suffer. Well, yes. Well, I, to be honest, I don't know exactly what to add to his comments because I think this was a perfect response. There, there's nothing else to say apart from the fact that um, uh, no apologies, no messages of apologies uh, and no regrets uh, will be enough and that. I'm afraid that Spain still has this problem and it's not going to change until they do something about it and they're not going to do anything about it. So it's not, I'm not very optimistic about that. I'm more optimistic for Vinicius' career than I am about um, the problem with racism with uh, some fans of some clubs in, in Spain. What can I say? What more can I say? Nikki? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask Philippe about um, Chouameni, who seems to be like have stepped in there and just immediately sort of made that midfield his own so impressively. And you think they sort of said goodbye to um, to uh, Casemiro in the summer, and you think that's not an easy replacement. And it just seems like he's doing brilliantly. Yeah, he he is, but um, I I think that's absolutely no surprise um, to anyone who was following um, before that. And um, what the surprise was that they were able to get him so easily because um, I, I would have thought that most I mean, there were a few other clubs. Arsenal were after him for a while and, and were priced out, um, but there's absolutely no surprise. And um, and in fact, you can see that um, I think France's midfield in um, 2026 is probably playing for Real Madrid right now, isn't it? Because the other one is not so bad either, <laughs> Mr. Cavaminga. I think as well that pass for the first goal is. Amazing. It's probably so not amazing. something that Casemiro has, has got in his locker. So, um, obviously, there's a lot of strengths to Casemiro and, and the way that he's able to move the team around. But I just felt the pass, the vision for it was was it was, and it was a great finish as well from Rodrigo. And they did celebrate um, with the dance, which um, which pleased me. Also, in, within that goal, and he scored the second goal, but uh, Fede Valverde probably being one of the, the players of, of the season, I would say, so far. He scored a magnificent goal a couple of weeks ago um, and has really been driving this Real Madrid team forward, um, you know, from a, a sort of nominal position out on the right. I don't, he, he's not a winger and I think he ideally would like to play more centrally, but a lot of competition for spots in that central area for Real Madrid. So he's doing a, um, a, a really great job for them. I'm also... I mean, Real Madrid played the good guys in the Champions League at, at times last season when, when they, they knocked out a, a couple of teams. And it felt like they were the, the, the good guys again um, in, in this match. And it made me laugh after the game when Diego Simeone was bemoaning Real Madrid's low block. Um, and, and, sort of defend, <laughs> and 
That is sensational. <laughs> and the defensive tactics um, of Real. So there was, there was maybe, um, that, that was very ironic. But just getting back very quickly to Simeone and the racism, I felt like he could have done so much more. I mean, he's somebody, you know, he's supposed to be a really strong leader and he's, you know, he's always grabbing his balls and telling us how big his balls are. And I think that he could have been so much you know, more authoritative. In he was asked the day before the game about um, Vinicius and the racism he suffered, and he said, "We live in a society in which we are all involved. We are people, and this is the society we have." So he basically said absolutely nothing. Where he could have said, you know, something along the lines of, "Really hope Vinicius doesn't score." You know, we. But you know, if you are racist towards him you're not Atletico you're not part of th- this club but he didn't do that um Koke was also asked um about what would happen if Vinicius scored and danced and he said there would be trouble which is almost instigating um the, the trouble before it started so I think Atletico as a club needed to do much more I think to stop the actions of their supporters and um yeah like, like I said I'm I'm quite pleased that Real Madrid won the game yeah well said CMR says, how does Griezmann playing 90 minutes affect Sid's spreadsheet? Yeah, he, he started and he played the whole game. I presume he was going to, I thought he'd be hooked after 29 minutes. What does this mean, Mark? Well, it means, I think, that Atletico and Barca are moving towards a resolution, um, exactly. which I, I think is best for everybody. You know, Barcelona can maybe get some money. Atletico can, you know, can, can use Griezmann um, in a more normal way. And for the player himself, um, you know, it's not great for him to be, um, used in this way, Philippe. I don't know if he's spoken himself about the situation. Not really, but uh, the thing that that it should happen just after, I think it's FIFA started uh, saying that they were going to look into the matter and FIFA is looking into the matter with these ridiculous clauses in contracts, which mean that some players are only playing like 30 minutes of a game because if they play more than mm-hmm. that, it triggers a clause. That's ridiculous. And that's Quite obviously, what's been happening in this case, isn't it? I mean, Mark. I mean, it's the only reason is financial and contractual. I wonder if there are some players who'd just quite like to just play twenty-eight <laughs> minutes every week. Just think that's just good. Just come on, have an impact. You won't be that tired. You have a lovely life. I mean, I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's one thing in the big picture, but I think very genuinely, leading up to a World Cup, that might be an ideal situation for some players to to make sure you're going to sort of keep your your arm in, as it were, to keep yourself um, playing, but also know that you're not going to grind yourself down too much leading into this sort of you mean like Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw for example yeah that's a good point isn't it but it's, it's like you know it's just texting the gaffer saying I've probably only got a half hour in me I've got I'm running a marathon tomorrow sort of Sunday league like, can I just play, I just played 20 um, Barcelona good form continued um, Elche at bottom had a man sent off after 13 minutes that made it more difficult Lewandowski's got a couple and Depay actually scored a brilliant goal, I thought, Mark. The strength in that term were brilliant. It, yeah, it, it was. I, I thought it was going to be ruined by an offside. It was really tight. Um, it was tight, It yeah. was a really tight VAR call, but um, thankfully um, about a toenail onside. But it was It was good to see Memphis playing. I, I, I'm a bit conflicted because I don't like the way Barcelona have kind of risked their future in this way. Uh, but yeah, I was watching the game against Elche and then the, the new camp was, was nearly four. And it, it did, it felt good to have Barcelona back. And I, I, you know, I do worry about what sort of will happen in five years time. But I looked at that team from where they were 12 months ago. And, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, and they're they, so much stronger. Uh, and it, it sounds obvious, you know, um, got Lewandowski up front. But even somebody like Bolde at left back, young 18-year-old was involved in, in a couple of 
the goals. I like the way that Xavi's got the team playing. There is a feel-good factor to Barcelona and it feels like, I suppose, football is better with a stronger Barcelona, but I, I don't I don't like the way that they've they've risked the, the future of the club in, in doing it. But I can understand why there is excitement back at the club at least. The thing is, Mark, you're here, Mark, for feel good vibes. So just <laughs> okay. go with it. Just you know, it's good to have a good Barcelona. So happy days. Uh, all right, that'll do for part two. Part three will begin with France. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right (laughs) now. Hold it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Liam says, what's going on in France? Which I agree, Philippe, is quite a vague question. But he, yeah, did, uh, <laughs> he did send a picture <laughs> of the uh, number of red cards in France. Yes, it's this amazing. Season. In Ligue 2, 45. In Liga 34. In La Liga, by comparison, 20. Serie A, 15. Bundesliga, 12. The Premier League's only been four. What's mm. happening there? But what, what's that? Are the French just filthy, Philippe? I, I think there were... Um Instructions given to referees before the start of the season, which were the exact opposite of the instructions which were given to Premier League referees. Brilliant, so, brilliant. So you know, it's, <laughs> we're talking. It's it's kind of European homogeneity, so that we all know uh, what to expect when when we have uh, the next Euros or whatever. It, that's the only explanation that is that is possible because some of the decisions which have been taken are frankly quite ridiculous and despite or because of the use of VAR as well you would have thought this would actually balance things but not at all uh, there was one week <laughs> the third week of French football there were actually 11 red cards that's a Anonymous. new record since <laughs> since records begin since records began you know basically since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden and and when Opta was there obviously or, already uh, nobody has ever done that um, this weekend, there was also a new record set, which is the fastest red card in French football history. And nine seconds. Ah, good. It's pretty good. That and is good. Uh, the new holder um, is Jean-Claire Todibault of Nice, who was running back uh, to stop an Angers um, attacker and just outside the, the penalty box. And he stopped him and he was deemed to be the, the last man. And he was sent off. There you go. Um, so, yes. 
it's uh, it's quite extraordinary. Uh, it's it's probably due yes to some instructions given to referees, but there's an awful lot of uh, discussion about this in France. Uh, at the moment, the discussion around football in France is quite mad, as you might have seen, Max. Between that and the French Federation, the sexual abuse allegations, the Pogba affair, Mbappe uh, not wanting to be part of a photo shoot with the French national team, then joining it and uh, joining in it. It's absolutely extraordinary. But this refereeing thing. French referees were always stricter. That's that, that's true. Uh, in terms, particularly in terms of violent conduct, they tended to show the red card perhaps more readily than than some of their European, most of their European counterparts. But this season has gone completely crazy. Yeah, it's that thirty-four red cards in in eight rounds of the of uh, Ligue 1 is uh, yeah, it's just a little bit much, really. I can't imagine, like uh, you know, what's uh, what's to speak in. Parlay Sport, that phone-in will be absolutely wild, won't it, On uh, with Adrien Durham. Um, look, uh, Maxime Rougedin. Yeah, exactly. Um, PSG, uh, well, all those things you said that making French football mad, we'll try and cover all of them. Quickly, PSG at top. Messi scored the only goal over Lyon. Oh, Lovely beauty. move between oh, him beauty. and Neymar, wasn't it? And absolutely like, glorious. And I said it in the intro, is, is he getting better? I, he obviously isn't getting better, but he's improving like other parts of his games. His his assist stats are ridiculous in the last couple of years. He's he's playing for a manager who is ideally suited to the job, who's got exactly the right personality for the type of players he has. You remember, Max, I said at the beginning of the season when they chose Galti, I said they're, they're in danger of becoming a really, really good side now. Mm-hmm. He's, he's perfectly suited to the job. Uh, you can also see that the old magic between uh, uh, Messi and, and Neymar is back on, very much so. Uh, he seems to be physically fit as well, which was not the case last season. Uh, which changes a lot of things. But the fact that he's had, uh, well, I was going to say his best start to a season with the PSG jersey, it's not very difficult. It's only the second one. But it is a better start, certainly. And that Neymar, he's having, I think, one of his best, if not his best season for, for Paris, uh, shows that there is a new balance, a new equilibrium, which has been found in that crazy club. Uh, the only thing which is really quite interesting is that, as you can imagine, everything that happens between the three of them is dissected uh, just like um, you know, the, the uh, Spanish newspapers dissect who is sitting next to whom on a plane taking Real Madrid to a game. So, and now it's about who gives the ball to whom. Um, uh, now, hang on. Uh, Neymar passes to Mbappe, but Mbappe doesn't pass to Neymar. Is that or is that the wrong way around? Absolutely. Mbappe passes to no one. Right. Mbappe didn't have his, his best game. It must be said against Lyon. Uh, maybe PSG didn't have best game against Lyon, who were really, really tough. And I thought quite impressive in the second half, by the way. Um, but the fact that Messi passes to Mbappé, Mbappé doesn't pass to Messi. Messi passes to Neymar, Neymar passes to Messi. It's basically a triangle where one of the bases of the triangle is not communicating with the others as they should. <laughs> Imagine not passing to Messi. Yeah. How can, you not, how can you not pass the ball to Lionel Messi? Like, that is some confidence. We, we need an, a new Pythagoras for a, yeah. a, a, new, a, for a, a new theory about this particular triangle. The, the Bappe, and it's not the Bermuda Triangle, it's the Bappe Triangle. Yeah. What happens? We don't know. What, what, what else is happening? Fun game between Marseille and Rennes. Um, Matteo Genduzzi scoring both. Own goal in the first half, header in the second. One for the frizzy-haired 11. Yeah, and, and, and Marseille and some slight, you know... Um, slowing down a little bit but still a fantastic start to the season only three points behind PSG so not going too badly 
Pigeons stopped play in this match. A flock of pigeons landed on the pitch five minutes before the final whistle. How do I say pigeons stopped play? Le pigeon arrête le... You're le, doing very well. Le jeu. Le jeu. Le jeu. There we are. Okay. My um, gosh. What do you want to talk about? Lorient. Yeah, I wanted just a quick word because probably um, I won't get a chance to have another quick word about Lorient next time. It's very unlikely, isn't it? Let's it's a it. bit unlikely. It's the highest position they've ever been <laughs> in the league. They're third. Uh, they're a team normally that would be, uh, on, in a good season, they would be mid-table and struggling. Uh, but Les Merlus, uh, to give them their nickname, which is The Hakes, are, are doing extremely well indeed. Uh, fourth victory on the trot uh, that was at Auxerre. Now, Sarah is not uh, doing too too well at the moment, but on it's what they what they're doing is quite remarkable. They've got uh, uh, a manager, Lebris, who's uh, never managed a top flight game before. He was uh, in charge of the reserves before that. He gets in. Uh, he's got, I think, one of the most exciting young talents we're seeing in in Liga at the moment. I know there are plenty. He's only twenty years old. Comes from Burkina Faso, uh, Dango Watara. Uh, he, he has scored again. It's his fourth goal, also five assists since the beginning of the season. I'm not sure he's going to stay at Lorient for too long, but let's enjoy it while it lasts. So Lorient have, having their day in the sun, and I'm very happy to be able to say that on the pod. Part of me just wishes in some way that Lorient were the feeder club for Leighton Orient or vice versa. You know, <laughs> that, you know Matty Lockwood and, and Joby McEnough would just, you know, they'd earn their spurs at Orient and then go to Lorient. Um, okay, let's cover off all those things you were saying, Philippe, starting with the, the most uh, depressing. Um, Romain Molina, your mate, and uh, writing for your friends at Josimar, has revealed 40 years' worth of alleged se- sexual abuse cover-ups, not only at the French FA, the FFF, but also within the LFP, which is what specific? What's the LFP? Ligue de football professionnel. Yeah. Okay. Um, according to the report, several cases of sexual abuse, blackmail and harassment towards underage players, boys and girls that involve coaches, scouts and agents, as well as senior officials working in the French top flight. Thierry Ray, the sports advisor to the former French president, Francois Hollande, said that word of the allegations never reached him. He said, the FFF never spoke to me to ask about it. Neither did they speak to the sports minister. The gravity of the facts should have been taken seriously. It, it, it feels from these reports a real echoes of, you know, those horrible stories that we've heard regarding Barry Burnell and others in the UK. Uh, but on this systemic and systematic place, and what is really most concerning that the, I don't know what is most concerning. The fact that the sexual abuse is rife in football is unfortunately, um, you know, not a revelation. And I think we're only seeing a tiny, 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 a uh, number of, of the stories surfacing for obvious reasons. And the victims don't want to, well, they don't want to expose themselves to, to what a victim of sexual abuse is, is exposed to in our society, which is uh, doubt, accusations, and putting your whole life on, on the line. And the good news is that the, the current sports minister has actually asked for all the dossier to be passed on to her. So I think that in this particular case, we might actually make some progress and some quite dramatic progress in not too long. As you say, it, all of these cases rely on the, the, um, you know, the evidence of survivors. And it is yes. the, their bravery, and we've seen it in cases in, in England, their bravery is, is sort of beyond. It, it's, it's so exceptional. Yep. And, and actually something that we haven't, it's very hard to discuss it 
on, on the pod, but we've sort of we we probably should do or you know talk to those people who are involved because those stories are I mean they are horrific, but they're something that we all need to face. The bravery to come out and do it years and years later, and the wounds that it reopens, and the stigma that is attached to it, because because actually what's interesting is then suddenly you're not regarded as whoever ex footballer. You're it changes how people view you. And obviously there there are so many awful people out there mm-hmm. on social media, in particular. As soon as you tell your story, mm-hmm. they fall on you and say you're a liar, you're this, you're that, you deserved it. How dare you do that? This, which has happened to uh, a, a French woman international who um, wrote a book uh, last year, I believe, and has been since then the target of absolutely unbelievable abuse. It's just, it's just so depressing. It's beyond words. Beyond words. It's so depressing. Yeah. Um. Um. Philippe, you wanted to you wanted to talk about Mbappe and the French FA. I think yeah, because I think that's a really interesting one, especially in the wake, you know, of the the conversations uh, we had with Rory. Uh, about his new book on expect- yeah. ex- expected goals on data. Now, it's really, really interesting that it's, it's twofold. Kylian Mbappé, obviously, is the boss with the French team, all right? We, he's the boss. Um, and he's, he was asked to take part in a, in a photo shoot uh, by the French Federation and refused. And he said, because I want to control my image rights, it's not up to you to tell me who I should do uh, photo shoots for. It's up to me. We have to discuss. And which is the first time it's ever happened, by the way, uh, with the French uh, football team. Uh, within a matter of hours, the, the, the French F, uh, FA uh, explained that there had been a meeting and they had found a solution and therefore the photo shoot would, you know, they had changed the so-called contract or convention between the players and the FA. So the photo shoot has or is taking place as we speak. But it's to do with the more general idea of do players control their data? Do you remember when Zlatan, you know, got into trouble because he actually uh, challenged the fact that I can't remember which game that was was using his likeness and people Mm -hmm. laughed him out. Ah, no, 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 of course not. You gave those away. Well, not for long. This is going to be one big revolution and one big income stream for very wealthy players already. Is that FIFA Pro has also, which is the association... Uh, of professional footballers at the world level has released yesterday a charter for the protection of data of players. So the next step is going to be how players will sell their own data. If I if I say, well, you Mbappe, you you scored two goals. That's not his data, right? I know that. And no, no, not, no, no, no. He can't sue me for that. So it's just when it gets quite. It's when it gets sort of technical. I mean, do you use Mark? How much do you use these stats? Yeah, I mean, um, well, certainly, um, as um, Philippe was alluding to there, in terms of you know what you're able to say bet on um, now, maybe there, there would be some players that that don't feel that um, you know tackles and shots you shouldn't be able to maybe um, offer markets around, um, say something like that. And I mean, what even we we own the the website Soccerbase, which is quite a um, sort of popular um, data collection um, and has been for a number of years and. But one of the things on there is players' heights. Um, and we've had players, um, because not all of them are correct, um, you know, that they're, as, they're as good as we could get them. But you get some players that um, their agents or the players themselves will get in touch and say, 
you need to change my height. I'm actually <laughs> um, you know, six foot one, um, not five foot eleven or something. Um, and you're costing, yeah, you know, and they'll say you're costing me a move. You know, people are looking at this and they're um, they're, they're they're thinking I'm. And so, you know, this was a website that was created a long time ago, and um, you know, before wow. these kind of um, issues had, had opened up. Now, we don't believe that height is something that. Um, is a bit like goals we, we um you know it's something that's just there in the open but um it is a, a, a very much a pandora's box i i, I suspect that the clubs will kind of the, the clubs will tighten it up i think that's probably where it needs to come from that um the clubs say well you know you're going to work and your work is part you know and this is a data stream but um it's it's open to debate at the moment for sure neil says uh, any other business, it's mainly about players with frizzy hair. Um, after we discussed Leicester's centre-back bout face, the, the latest frizzy-haired footballer in the Premier League. Can't believe Emerson, says Neil, didn't make the frizzy-haired 11. Look, we're just <laughs> starting there. Surely he defined the look. Marcus says, how could you have a conversation about frizzy-haired defenders and not mention Carlos Puyol? His power was contained in his curls. You really need to consider him before jumping to such outrageous conclusions about long-haired players. Um, so I've come up with a frizzy-haired 11. Higita, and then a back four. That face has to go right back. Lalas, Puyol, Cucurella, with David Luiz holding. Guendouzi, Emerson, and Marcello, who's playing left wing, because that's basically what he did, with Fellaini behind Valderrama, um, which I think is quite a good frizzy head. And, and just how much fun would it be to see those guys running around the pitch, flopping everywhere? Um, if I have forgotten anyone, do let me know. Um, and finally, well done to Grimsby fan, comedian Lloyd Griffith, who sung the national anthem at Grimsby and then at Brentford against Arsenal. And he was pretty amazing. Um, whether you like the national anthem or you don't, it's a different conversation, but he's an excellent singer. Um, damn multi-talented people. Um, and that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Philippe. Thank you, Max. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Steele. This is The Guardian.